Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You are now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV. Even on the radio. Pop up at a box spot. And I'm on your way go. We in bitten airwaves. Cool. They be watching us, we so prosperous, ain't no stopping us, ain't no topping us, they be watching us, we so prosperous. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Indeed, indeed, indeed. Tell a friend to tell a friend that they are now tuned into the number one radio show on MaximumFM.ca. That's right. I said it. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. We have a banging show for you guys to get to tonight. Lots of tea will be spilled, I guarantee, because of the fact of the stories that we have lined up. We got to talk about Quincy Jones talking about crazy about everyone including Michael. We also got to talk about the new Black Panther album that just came out. We got to talk about, let's see here, we also got, I don't have some Drizzy today, not not Drizzy today, but I do have some Donald Glover to talk to in regards to his comparison with a certain icon of rap. There's so much to get to. Also, around the 845 mark, I have the lovely and talented singer and songwriter, Julia Tynes, in studio. We'll be talking about her new single album and all that good stuff. But before I get to all of that... You guys already know I have some stuff to uh, get off of my chest, so to speak. So on that note, I think it's time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. Indeed, indeed. Now, like I said at the beginning of the show, man, um, today is the day that the Black Panther album soundtrack is out. Yes, that's right. So if you guys haven't been listening for the last couple of weeks at the very least, I have been going off about how excited I am for the Black Panther film and also the soundtrack that will accompany it, which is being produced and curated by Kendrick Lamar and Top Dog Entertainment. And lo and behold, it came out today and it did not disappoint. I mean, song after song, banger after banger. And I was joking around last week that it is not only Black History Month, but it is, in fact, Black Panther Month because, let's be honest, like, this is going to be one hell of an event that everyone's going to be tuning in for. Everyone's buying a ticket for this film. You have groups of people buying tickets you have the whole uh hashtag black panther challenge where a lot of people are uh, buying out theaters so that a lot of underprivileged youth can come see the movie to see you know positive representation within the black community and it's it's just a beautiful thing like how can you get mad at this or how can you turn a blind eye to it i mean just get in on the fun that's what i'm saying right now if there's any time to jump on the bandwagon now is the time you will not be disappointed. And from what i've seen so far like i haven't read the reviews i've just seen the headlines and they're pretty promising, I'll say that. But going back to the soundtrack, though, I mean, I'm not going to do like a full-out review of the soundtrack. I just want to give my initial reactions because I actually listened to it for the first time on my way to Maximum FM. I have three tracks I had already heard because of the fact that they were released as singles. So you already had All the Stars, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, we had Pray For Me, which I'll play later shortly. And then we also have King's Dead, which featured Kendrick Lamar, uh, Future, uh, J-Rock, and one more other artist on that record, too. Uh, but there's a bevy of records on here that are very Black Panther-centric in terms of 
you know, the type of sound that you would expect because it does take place within Wakanda, which is a fictional nation within Africa. So you're going to hear a lot of Pan-Africanism music in here. So you're going to hear the Congo drums. You're going to hear the whistles. You're going to hear all that good stuff. Uh, but then you also have your traditional hip-hop in there as well, which is inspired by the film, supposedly. Um, but... I just love the collection of artists that they have on here. So basically, they have the majority of the TDE roster on here. They also have uh, Anderson Pack, who's from California, who's an amazing singer. His album, uh, Malibu, hugely underrated in 2016, if I may say so myself. Um, you also have who have you have uh, you have uh, Khaled on here as well. Not DJ Khaled, but the singer Khaled, uh, who's really amazing. Uh, you have Sway Lee, who's one half of Ray Strummerd, who actually does this thing on this record too. Um, you also have some international artists on this album as well. You have an artist by the name of Sakari, and then there's another artist, I can't remember his name, but he was on a record with Kendrick Lamar and Vince Staples. Speaking of which, that record right there, Ops... That might be my favorite record on the album. I just love the way it hits. It has a very Afro beat rhythm to it. Um, I hope they make this into a video because I would love to see what the video would look like and all the visuals. But speaking of videos and visuals, this leads me into the, the video for All the Stars. Now, All the Stars has been out for, I want to say, almost a month now. And it features Kendrick Lamar and SZA. And basically, the song is good. But when we get to the video... That's when you get the goosebumps and the chills because there are so many Pan-African themes that are happening within the video. So you have scenes of uh, Kendrick uh, within the villages and the huts, you know, um, just kind of interacting with the people, with, with the natives and what have you. And then you have scenes of Afrofuturism kind of mixed in with the past where you see a black and gold ba uh, backdrop and you see a lot of the men and the women in the background just head to cover, head to head to toe covered in gold, kind of representing the royal the royal lineage that Africans have come from within past years, and how it's somewhat of a staple within African history to try to carry on that tradition, and they also carry that on within the Black Panther film, of course, because it revolves around royalty and deities and what have you. And then at the end of the video, you have the four goddesses. Yeah, I said it, goddesses, because it's four women, very four very tall, large women who are standing in front of Kendrick Lamar as if to. As if to, you know, maybe bring about judgment or whatever the case may be. You just see Kendrick kind of looking at them in awe in a sense because those are his creators in a sense. And I love that theme about it. You also have the theme of, you know, fashion, for example. So you have a lot of people wearing traditional African garb. You see the kente cloth. You see the dashikis. You see the boo-boos in there. Like, there's so many things that kind of almost larking me back to my childhood, going to all the fam jams and the barbecues and all that. And just seeing all that full circle. I mean... It's funny because if this was like the 90s and, and you were caught wearing those types of clothes like in North American public, you know, you'd be teased at and made fun of, you know, for being too ethnic. But now it almost seems as though people are kind of taking it in uh, as like a form of like pride and passion. And even if some people are just jumping on the bandwagon because it's the most stylish thing right now. It is whatever, because at the end of the day, you're still spreading the awareness of the type of fashion that African nations have sported throughout centuries, to be honest. Um, and then I love the parts with Scissor where she's just kind of lying in the middle, and you see all these African color patterns around her. And then the color palettes that they use for this video, they're so visually stunning because... Africans, for the most for the most part, we're rich in melanin, so we're darker in skin. So when we have bright clothes, it just brings out the contrast and it makes the clothing and the pattern stand out. So I think they really took that into consideration, um, and that's what made the colors really pop. And I think they used that to their advantage in the video. So I thought it was a really creative tool that they use in that aspect. And since it just looks amazing in that video, I mean, she just looks so natural. I just love the fact that 
the song is called All the Stars, and you see her amongst the stars within the video the entire time. And one note that I love to not only the Black Panther film, but the Black Panther political party was there's one scene where you saw Kendrick dressed up in all black like a Black Panther member would. And then he's walking along a pride of Panthers, basically, an ode to, again, the Black Panther film and the Black Panther Party movement. So I love the little double entendre that you made with that one frame in the video. Overall, not only do I think this was this video amazing, but I will go on record and say that this is video of the year. I'm locking it in right now. Video of the year. Easy. Easy. I know we're only in February. I know I'm being a prisoner of the moment right now. I know it's um, it's recency bias. But at the end of the day, we live in an era where videos are consumed just like that. We watch a video for two and a half minutes and we're already satisfied. We're moving on to the next video. I can't really remember the last time I watched a video more than three times. I watch a video once and I'm good with it. On to the next thing. But this music video right here, man, it has replay value. Like I was saying on the air maybe a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago almost, that the video for Family Feud with Jay-Z and Beyonce, I thought that was the best video of the year thus far because of all the themes that it introduced. Introduced um not introduced, but it basically re reaffirmed the issues, of, not the issues, but the themes of female empowerment. It uh, reaffirmed the issues of the institutionalization of, of black people and people of color within the justice system. It There are so many things. Like it talked about the constitutional rights and how it's been rejected on so many occasions. Um, there are so many things that it addressed that it needed to. But I feel like with this video right here, man... Man, we need this video. Like, we need videos like these more often to remind people of color in general that they are not the stereotypes that sometimes Western media plays them out to be. They are more than that. Like, their beauty and culture is skin deep. It's buried within centuries and centuries of history and it can still come around full circle today. And I think that video did that. It wasn't just a video for a really cool blockbuster movie coming out very soon. It was a video meant to empower people who look like the ones that are portrayed in that video. And I'm so glad that Kendrick and SZA had such an incredible vision to really uh, make it stand out. Shout out to Dave Myers. He's the one who directed the video. Um, it was amazing. I loved every single second of it. And I guarantee that you will not be disappointed. You should watch this video over and over and over again because... It's Black Panther Month. <laughs> but nonetheless, do you guys agree with me? Do you guys disagree with me? As always, hit me up on social media. Hit me up at cool underscore radio on Twitter and let me know your thoughts. Coming up after the commercial break, I have the lovely and talented Julia Tynes in studio with me right now. Uh, we will get to her music and her story in music as well. It's a very interesting one. We're definitely going to get to that. And, of course, the latest story is happening within music right now. But keeping in the theme of Black Panther Month, uh, let me play one of the singles off of the new uh, Black Panther original soundtrack. This one is by way of, of course, Kendrick Lamar featuring Canada's own The Weeknd and by way of Arichia, by the way, so keep it with the African theme. And this one is called Pray For Me, and it's only on Cool Radio. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. And as promised, I have my guest of the evening. Now, keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, for the past few weeks, we've been having guests who have been, you know, reoccurring guests who've come on the show second or third time and what have you. But this guest I have in the studio tonight, it is her first time in the 
Walls of Cool Radio. And this is also our first brand new guest of the year. So it's a little bit of a double whammy. And like I feel like it's a big event. Um, she is a singer by way of Nova Scotia and has made her way to Toronto to expand her brand. She is very talented in the realms of R&B and pop and also writes and performs her own music as well. And she is looking to take her game to the next level. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the lovely and talented Julia Tynes in studio. Hello, hello. Yes, yes. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. All great right. To be here. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming here. You're a busy lady, so I appreciate you making time in your schedule. <laughs> it's definitely on my my Google calendar. There you go. There you go. Shout out to Google. <laughs> but let's get more into you, right? Um, first, like anytime I have a guest on here that I've never had before, I always ask them this question because I'm very curious to know more about it, basically. Um, but when did you first fall in love with music? Um, <clears throat> that dates back probably to The Little Mermaid. Yes. Uh, Under the sea. <laughs> no, no, no. Her big song. <laughs> that was my favorite one. <laughs> well, you probably couldn't hit that high note. I don't know. No, nah, I don't think I could. I don't think you I know. could. Nah, nah, nah. Barely she could. It, it, was, it, was definitely, it was definitely a hard, one hell of a high note to hit, so I commend her for doing that. <laughs> um, But, yeah, I mean, I've been um in love with music, I think my whole life and mm-hmm. i think performing in general i've always loved entertaining right right so you consider yourself you know someone who embraces the crowd and the audience to share your passion what have you absolutely right right I, I mean it's not a show without an audience there you go there you go absolutely um so what i've been told like just in the past and you know just over the last few years i would say the I would say the hip hop and R and B scene in Nova Scotia is is thriving, and it's almost Absolutely. somewhat of like a best kept secret. I would say. Uh, what would you say about that? You being from there, there are so many amazing artists coming out of Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're known typically for our East Coast music, right? But um, as a as a Black Nova Scotian, you know, there's a huge uh, community of of folks out there, uh, 400 years actually that um, people have, black people have been in Nova Scotia. Right. And um, so there's a huge scene for hip hop um, and uh, lots of people um, doing big things, nominated for Junos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Because anytime I hear about Nova Scotia, there's almost like a nationalistic pride that comes with it. Like people say, whenever people say they're from Nova Scotia, they just say, I'm Scotian. <laughs> like you never catch anyone from Toronto saying, I'm from Ontario. You know what I mean? So like, what, where, like, where does that pride come from? Um, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it comes with the fact that we live by the ocean and we, we're just like proud of the fact that we have an ocean. Right. Yeah, <laughs> we own the ocean. That's kind of ours. Yep. Seafood on deck. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's very laid back there and it's just a good feeling. Like whenever I go home, there's a lot of support and a lot of a lot of great food, but great people. Yeah. Everyone's just everyone just wants to have a good time. Right. And I think I think you said it actually support. Like whenever I hear about Scotian artists, they always support one another. Like they're always talking about, "Have you heard this guy? Have you heard this guy? I've recorded with this guy. He's so dope or she's amazing. You definitely got to hear her music out." So like I really I I find that very endearing actually that like people are out are out there to help one another kind of advance in, in the ladder so to speak. So I I like that. I like that a lot. 
Um, one thing, you know, speaking of, you know, promoting and, and what have you, this is what one person said about you in particular. And I quote, Lady J's voice has a unique gift that her audiences and listeners love. This is a sign of a true artist that sets her apart from all others. Now, that statement in particular was from three-time Juno winner Liberty Silver. So when you hear somebody who has that much clout to their name, essentially big you up how does that make you feel (laughs) (laughs) well i love liberty silver she's an amazing artist um she was inducted into the mississauga hall of fame this summer Mm -hmm. um and she she was actually the first um black um canadian or black woman to win a juno so i mean you 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 gotta give it gotta give it one of those (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean um, I love her and she's my she's my dear friend. Um, I met her actually at a gig and I basically just like begged her to like teach me her ways. Like literally it was like, I'm coming to your house. She's like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the ways, young young Jedi. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it makes me feel amazing and, and she's really helped me develop my voice as well. Right, right. And that's amazing because like you always want to see like the older generation kind of give back to the newer generation as well because – they're going to be the ones to carry on tradition to, and to pass the torch, you know, when their time comes up as well. So I, I really love to hear, you know, stories like that, especially from someone who's made so much history on, on her own accord, right? So Yeah, her first show was uh, with Bob Marley at Madison Square Garden. That is insane. At 12. That That is no big insane. Deal. I know, right? Like, uh, it was every day, whatever. But speaking at 12, actually, if we're talking about youth, <laughs> one thing about you that I found very interesting is the fact that you've been writing lyrics since you were nine years old. In fact, one of the lyrics that you wrote back at nine years old was the following, and I quote, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, if I lean 90, will you lean 10? So uh, that lyric is in the song um, that I originally wrote when I was nine, but the chorus is what's been kept from that. Right. I wish you could tell. Uh, uh, oh, it's so obvious. I right. I wish you could tell. And even then, I mean, to write a lyric like that at nine years old, that's actually pretty profound, to, uh, to be honest. I mean, because there's so much you could, you could take from that. If I, if, I give, if I lean 90, will you lean 10? Like, I mean, to me, when I hear something like that, it means, you know, if I put in this much effort, will you give me that little bit just to connect? Like, that's what I got from it. But, like, what was your interpretation of that when you first came up with it? Um, well, when I, when I first came up with Obvious, I was, I think, I, I came up with the, the name Obvious because I thought that was really cool at the yeah. time. That I, probably that it was, like, a weirdly spelled word. And mm-hmm. I just thought I was really cool saying Obvious. Yeah. <laughs> obvious. It is, it is really <laughs> It is one of my favorite words, actually. Right. Um, obviously. <laughs> but um, I mean, that's just one song. There was a lot of a lot of deeper songs when I was nine. I'm mm-hmm. now I'm like, whoa, what were you thinking? Yeah. Um, but I mean, definitely just about having a crush on somebody. Right. And it's funny because things haven't really changed that much when you hear about people, even ad- adults who are, you know, they like someone and they're like, they called me and they invited me here yep. and they messaged me 10 times. Do you think they like me? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, man, for sure, for sure. We're going to get into more of that, actually. I, I really want to get to more of that. But before we do, um, 
one thing I, I want to mention is that you like you seem to have an affinity for like the youth, you know, like youth culture, what have you, and, and you know, just doing it for the kids and all that. And even one of the things that you have, you know, in regards to you know just providing for the youth within music is you have your own startup called Songs for Self, which kind of teaches kids how to like write music and what have you. Um, what inspired you to create that? Um, well, actually, I got a video from. Um a young girl and she was singing um, my first single after you Aww. and um, she she actually had just been taken um, um, from her from a, a, d- a difficult situation right and so she was on a uh, I forget like seven or eight hour drive yeah and she had sang my song the whole drive Wow so um, I just thought you know Sometimes when things get difficult with music, you're like, oh, like, why? Why mm-hmm. all of this? And then something like that happens, and I'm just like, oh, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. Like, yeah. I, I have a connection with kids. They they somehow relate to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to just find more ways to, to be using my music that way. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, and kind of going on that note as well, um, do you feel like, and I've asked this question to like artists in the past as well, uh, but do you feel like it's an artist's responsibility to be a role model? Um, I think it's your responsibility to stand for something. Right. Um, you can't be a role model for everybody mm-hmm. because, you know. Can't really please everybody. <laughs> you, can't, you can't please everybody. Yeah. And being a role model for kids is one thing, but sometimes you need to appeal to an older audience and be a role model for, for older people. So right. everyone needs role models of different capacities. Right, right. I agree to that. I agree to that, actually. Um, And, you know, just going based on, you know, songs for self and, like, other uh, programs out there like Remix and what have you. Um, do you feel like it's important for uh, programs like that to exist to help you know nurture artists as well, especially artists within the hip hop and R and B realms as well? Absolutely. Um, one one reason that I wanted to release Obvious first mm-hmm. was because um, it is sort of like a throwback to to you know my first song and I finally made it. Yeah. But also. I don't want it to take this long <laughs> for, the next, for, for, for the younger people. So yeah. I, I am happy to share all my knowledge. I went to uh, Coalition Music. Uh, they have an entrepreneur business program. Yeah. And I learned all about contracts and and deals and mm-hmm. what you... There are actual steps to being an artist right. that you can do. It's not like... Originally, I thought you, you just walked down the street in Toronto. That's probably why I moved here. I thought <laughs> I walked down the street, hummed to myself, and yeah. someone would be like, oh, my God. Yeah. You like, are it. <laughs> you have it. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to sort of pass on that, no, that's not how it happens, yeah. but here are steps you can do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be about music. There are always steps to to reaching any of your goals, if it's being a doctor, mm-hmm. if it's... Um, if it's being a radio broadcaster. Hey, there you go. <laughs> if it's anything. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, just going going with that and what have you, um, I'm sure, like, a lot of people kind of cling to your personality in, in, in that retrospect as well. Because you seem to have, like, a very, like, humble, down-to-earth, you know, easy-to-divide-with type of personality. Yeah, <laughs> There you go, right? <laughs> now, I find it ironic that, like, you have, like, a couple of your idols or people that you kind of looked up to as far as, like, musicians go were Mariah Carey and uh, Diana her. Ross. Lo- and like they are like two of the most like notorious divas like ever. <laughs> so like, what made you kind of like kind of uh, cling on to them in that regard? Well, you know, you. C- I think as a person, I'm I'm definitely humble and down to earth. 
um, off stage and in my lyrics, I'd say I'm I'm down to earth. Mm-hmm. But when I envision my show, yeah, you know, it's on a big stage with lots of lights and backup dancers and mm-hmm. yeah, it's all over the place. It's, I I want that diva aspect of my show. So right. The music um is written with um my co-writer is Carl Jackson and I wrote with a few other people as well. Ben Foran, he's a guitarist very popular in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew Clementino. Uh, um, and uh, I'm like, what was I saying with that? <laughs> so basically, um, you were influenced by like a lot of people. So like, you mentioned Mariah Carey, and like you love how they oh, put yeah, on the show yeah. and what have you. Yeah, so, yeah. So, <laughs> sorry, the I got the, you. <laughs> the way the music was written, though, yeah. is very with a very grand grand idea right so so the music is very epic yeah so there's a lot of pageantry involved with this like so as a person i'm bringing diva but the music's bringing diva as well right right so basically we won't have like any horror stories about you being difficult with like stage matches and all that stuff (laughs) Uh oh. hopefully hopefully okay okay hopefully it can work (laughs) no no doubt no doubt so Tell us about the uh, the obvious single, actually, because I, I got to listen to it today, and I also got to watch the video today. I like it a lot. It has uh, has a very wholesome vibe to it. It's also like it also kind of brings you back to like your high school years as well, like when you're like first kind of like getting comfortable with like the opposite sex and what have you, and you know you just want to make it known that you like that person, but like you can't obviously not just too say known. it. Not too known. Not no. too known. Like you want to make it known that they notice, but not too known that like you might lose your cool or whatever. Just, like, pass them a note. Check yes or no. Exactly, right? Um what what was the inspiration behind that? Um well with the video mm-hmm. the video um is is all this hand choreo and yeah. it's sort of inspired by the youth trend they're into musically yeah. kids are videoing themselves with their phones yeah and so that means that you're only getting a lot of hands exactly so, so the whole video um is a lot of hand choreo and that's kind of sort of a throw to the to the young people right right um but the single, the single itself, I just wanted, I wanted to start off uh, fresh because I feel like I, you know, I've got some more m- mature material, yeah, and I don't think I can go back. Right, right. <laughs> Once you go forward, you can't go back. So, exactly. So I wanted to start it uh, this way, and um, I've been working with um, AM to FM Promotions, and mm-hmm. and uh, Obvious has been uh, played across the the country. Right, so right. It's been it's been a good. Good January. I was I would say so as well. <laughs> now, being in that scenario, you know, you're trying to make it, you know, obvious but not too obvious or what have you. Yeah. Um, have you been in the situation where you've tried to make it obvious that so, that you like someone, and at the same time, have you been on the other side of the fence where someone's trying to make it obvious to you that they like you and you just didn't catch it? Well, I've Uh-oh. been in a relationship for a while. I almost I almost forget. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, let me think about when I liked when I liked him. <laughs> when I liked him, I still like him. Uh, exactly, <laughs> you have to clean that up a little bit. Don't worry, bro. She still likes you. You good? You good? <laughs> um, I mean, I think <laughs> I think girls girls are are can be pretty subtle. They just sort of you know they just give you a look. They just throw you a look, and it's you know if you keep keep your eyes long enough, then you're like okay, they like me. And if not, then I can just I was just looking. Was right. Nothing. So I guess that would be 
how how I would do it. Right, right. I don't know. I feel like it's it's very hard now to like in, the, in today's generation because like sometimes you can get you know the look so to speak, but then that look might not really materialize into anything. It's like oh no, I was looking over there, or yeah, I was looking at you because my friend likes you, or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very subjective in a sense. Like that's why for me, it's just like if someone's kind of giving me the, that that look or whatever, right? I'm just like you never know. But at the same time, if you know, if you actually say hey. I like you, whatever. That's good enough for me. But go ahead, okay, go ahead. I can I can remember an obvious time when I was like very young. If yeah. I remember way way back to those junior high days. Take it way back. Take take it back. <laughs> uh, to you know when when someone would wait for you every day after school. Yeah. And, and then walk you like to the bus stop or something like, like that. Like really far home, but they don't live in that direction at all. Yeah. And then they say they just uh, wanted to talk about homework yeah <laughs> every day and carry your books for you yeah, right. so so those kind of things right and you were still like i don't know i'm not sure yeah now you're like wow okay yeah so that's what he meant by that time okay <laughs> yeah so young people you can tune in now he likes you exactly she likes you exactly just just watch for the obvious signs obvious of course <laughs> and then yeah just you know straight straight for radio you know i feel like if people i think i think that's where you know communication kind of really comes into play like I feel like if people kind of just kind of let their egos slide to the, to the side a mm-hmm. little bit and just you know be up front and forth and forthcoming and what have you, it'd be a lot easier to to decipher these things because you be never lot, know. It'd be way easier. It'd be way easier. That way you don't have to swipe right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, we have a lot more to get to. But before we do, I have a games portion here on on Cool Radio, okay. and I like to play the games. You know, with, with the guests, make the uh, make the. Uh, Audience at home feel comfortable, what have you. So, with that said, the first game we have lined up is called Cool or Uncool, and it goes a little something like this. Yeah. So, in this game, we got Cool Like That playing in the background from Dickable Planets. Uh, Basically, I'm going to give you a few scenarios, Mm -hmm. and you're going to let me know whether they're cool (laughs) or uncool. Okay. Can you dig it? Yeah, I dig it. All right, perfect. So, based on, you know, the whole conversation we've had for the last five minutes or so, you know, picking up the, on the obvious signs, whatever, let's kind of play a little into the romantic realm, shall we? Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, uh, here we go. Um, first dates, cool or uncool? Uncool. Really? Ooh, okay. Please, do tell, do tell. Ugh, they're awful. <laughs> what, what's awful about them? Wondering if you're gonna like them. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, well, me specifically, on a first date, right. I'm just like worried about that I'm not gonna like them. I'm already like, oh, I'm not gonna like them. And this is gonna be so awful because I don't like them. And then I have to tell them I don't like them. Right, right. So. So it's the apprehension of, yeah. you know, will I like this person or not? I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. I, I can dig that. Um, splitting the bill on the first date, cool or uncool? Oof. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is going to be... Hold on, let me get my tea ready for this one. (laughs) um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... Search your feelings. Okay, I think it's fine. I think it's fine to uh, to split the bill. Okay. But, uh... I don't know. Actually, I have no idea. Speak your feelings. I don't know. I don't know. There is no judgment here. (laughs) There's no judgment here. Uh... Wow, I just don't want to sound so... Old school, but I'm like, yeah, I want him to pay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would benefit you, right? You're, you're saving what, 20 bucks? <laughs> I'm enough starving. 
an artist. Starfield. <laughs> Don't take, kill me. Take that to go. Don't kill me. Pack it up. I'll, I'll, I'll say this when it, when it comes to like the, the like the split in the bill or whatever. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a problem with it, um, regardless of what the situation is. I feel like the only time where someone has to cover the date is if they say to that person, "Hey, let me take you out on a date." Mm-hmm. I feel like when someone says that, then it's kind of on that person to cover right. it because you're the one who proposed it in that fashion. Whether it's a man asking a woman or a woman asking a man, I feel like it's kind of incumbent on them to do it in that scenario. Right. That's what I would say personally. I'm more of a nuanced guy, so it is what it is. <laughs> but nonetheless, let's keep it going. Um, let's see here. Doing something simple on a date. It could be any date. First date, 50th date, anything. It's just something simple. Cool or uncool? Cool. Super cool. Okay, okay. What, what, what would your idea of simple be on a date? Um, going to a park and maybe playing some cards. Okay, okay. I can do that. Um, I actually went on a date once brought some cards right and they looked at me very strange and said really cards yeah and that's when i knew it wasn't gonna work out wow yeah they judged me for bringing cards in my purse that's i wouldn't judge you at all i'd figure like that's creative actually because i never i can't remember the last time i went on a date and played cards you know what i mean like i think that's pretty dope actually because to me like when it comes to dates it's the simple things that 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 matter to me the most right because Again, a deck of cards, simple. But at the end of the day, you guys are building rapport, chemistry, having good conversation, whatever. And at the end of the day, neither of you are spending money. You're good. There you go. Right? I mean, I don't know. That person's weird. Whatever. They're (laughs) obviously weird. (laughs) Right? Oh, man. Let's see here. Um, Superhero movies, cool or uncool? Super cool. What's your your favorite superhero movie that you've watched recently, I guess? If you can remember one. Okay. And yeah. Um, I mean, my favorite one was was Batman. That was a while ago. Right. Wh- which Batman? Are we talking like Dark Knight or like yeah, the one from? Okay, Dark, Dark Knight. Knight. Okay, dope. I like that one yeah, probably much. the best superhero movie of all time. Um, are you looking forward to Black Panther? I am. I'm definitely looking forward to Black Panther. Yeah, I bet and you, you made are. Me even more excited hearing <laughs> all of your uh, your sort of breakdown of it. Yeah, like sounds good. I should get my tickets. They're selling out. Oh yeah, trust me. I got my tickets like three weeks ago, so I'm good. (laughs) I'm definitely good on that. I'm cool on that. (laughs) But nonetheless, uh, let's get to another game right now. I can't even get to all the uh, questions, but it's all good. But let's get to the second game. This one's even more thrilling. I call this one. I'd quit the game. (laughs) Every second, every minute, man. I swear that she can get it. All right. Now in this game. In an alternate reality, an alternate universe, you are the eligible bachelorette. So you are wheeling, dealing, kiss stealing, jet flying, limousine riding, all that good stuff. (laughs) But there comes a point in everyone's life where they've got to quit the game. So they got to settle down, have the kids in the white home with the white picket fence, Mm -hmm. with a tire swing, apple pie cool on the windowsill, Mm. Spud McKenzie looking dog. I hope he baked it. Oh, I'm sure he did. In your in your reality, he'll do all the baking. How about that? Nice. All right, then. So on that note, if you had to quit the game for one of these two gentlemen that I have handpicked, oh. who would you quit the game for? Would you quit the game for Michael B. Jordan or would you quit the game for The weekend. The weekend. The weekend. okay. Definitely. 
I would love his music. Right. I was just watching the video for Starboy, mm-hmm. and he looks super cool in that video. I'm digging his little swagger. Right, right. He has a very um, a stoic vibe to him, I would say. Like, you can't really, like, market it. It's just kind of his own personality, his own vibe. It's a... He has like a shroud of mystique around him, I yeah. would say, and yeah. I and like I feel like a lot of women find that endearing because you can't really figure them out, so it makes it more of like a challenge to pursue them, if anything. So it's like, and I just want to write a song with him. Right there, you go. There you go. Get See me on that next track. There you go. Exactly. Featuring Julia Times. I'm gonna look out for that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen. We still have Julia Times in studio, and we are about to go to a commercial break. Once we get back from that break, we have Trip Talks. So that's three of the hottest topics that happened within the week. But before we get to that, we are going to get to your single, actually, which is entitled Obvious. <laughs> there we go. And with that being said, keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. I still have the lovely and talented Julia Times in studio right now. Hello. That's right. That's right. So you know what that means, people. We are at the halfway point of the show, which means it's time to get into Trip Talks. That's three of the hottest topics that happen within pop culture, and we're going to get to them right now. And the first one has to do with my man, Childish Gambino, also known as Donald Glover. And he made a few headlines here and there this week when he compared himself to Tupac. He essentially called himself the new Tupac. So, of course, before we even dive into the story, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, no, 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 sinner, sinner, shame, (laughs) shame, how dare you? So he offered some context into what he meant by that statement. So basically, uh, during an interview with Esquire, he was talking about his new music, the new show he has coming up, uh, Atlanta season two and what have you. And basically, um, he said the following, and I quote, I know everybody likens himself to Tupac a lot. I am the new Tupac in a strange way. And then he continues on to say, and I quote, I grew up similar. I didn't have a mom in the Black Panthers, but my parents were very pro-black also. My mom made me go to performing arts high school. Storytelling is just simplifying what's happening to you. Life is just a story. Stuff that happens to you, you you just put it into story mode. So that's basically his statement in regards to his comparison with Tupac. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia, based on that statement, like what what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think he's he's drawing a lot of uh, conclusions, uh, <laughs> of not a whole lot, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe he does have some some things in common with his background, perhaps. Right. But I mean, from what I what I hear in his music, not not so much. Right, right. I would say, yeah, like I, I kind of agree with that. Like I understand what he means by the comparison, just from like the resume, basically. So both are actors, both are musicians as well in their own rights. Both went to perform performing arts schools as well. But I, I think that's where the comparisons end. To be honest, yeah, there's be- a lot of people that fit that criteria. Right, exactly. Like, he's not the only one, and he won't be the last. Like if we're comparing it as far as music goes. Tupac's music was a lot more different, a lot more left than than what Gambino does. As far as what Tupac does, like his music was very like when he started off at least, it was very political, it was very conscious in that regard. But then as it kind of slid into the whole death death row scene, that's where you hear heard a lot more of the gangster rap, a lot of the more sexually themed songs as well. Mm-hmm. Mind you, he had that, you know, 
coming up as well. But it was a little bit more all around in that in that aspect, and it was a lot more vocally charged. It was very emphatic and what have you. Whereas Gambino, Gambino kind of represents that underrepresented uh, minority of black people within the hip hop community that weren't really represented. So the quote unquote backpackers, the nerds, so to speak, yeah. the people who were never really counted upon to listen to rap because they were too white for it because they didn't fit the stereotype and what have mm-hmm. you. I think that's Gambino's that's Gambino's realm. Right. And I don't think either of those two realms were ever really intersected. I so if we're talking from a music standpoint, I don't see the comparison. Resume, sure, you know, from like a distance, right? But if you really dive into and dissect it, I think they're kind of worlds apart. Yeah, I think it was quite a Quite a jump, quite a lot of correlation there. And right. Not a lot of facts. Right, right. I think it was just from like using like a broad brush to kind of paint that that um, that comparison. To, to to be honest, if I really had to compare Gambino to anyone, I would say the closest person that I can think of, just based off a of resume, I would say not necessarily content. It would have to be Jamie Fox because if you look at those guys. They are both stand-up comedians. They've both written their own screenplays for their own shows. Um, they're both singers. Uh, they've both, uh, they're both comedic actors as well. They've both acted in other films as well. So if you're looking at it from that standpoint, I would say that would be the more accurate uh, description resume-wise. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I feel like when it comes to Gambino, he is his own thing. He's his own niche. He's his own enigma. Um, when his music first came out, like around the later 2000s, it was like Little Wayne meets Eminem with like a little bit of Lupe fiasco, but I feel like now he's kind of like dived into his own realm. So if anyone does something related to him, then people can say, yeah, he kind of sounds like Gambino. So I feel like, and not to say that he doesn't feel comfortable in his own skin, but like I feel like the Tupac comparison or any comparison for that matter isn't really necessary. I feel like he's done enough to kind of build his own brand, his own niche, so that he doesn't have to compare himself to the next person. Yeah. I think we've never really seen anyone like Gambino before in terms of his sound his sound choices uh yeah, I loved his his performance at the Grammys that yeah was amazing. it was dope man I love that Redbone that Redbone just, record it was deep it was it was very deep like and if you listen to that whole album Awaken My Love I mean there's so many things that he dives into he dives into socialism within the black community he dives into politics he dives into you know um broken homes within the black community and what have you and you never really would really guess it because of the sound like you're you're hearing it over like a lot of funk and you think you funk party you know what i mean jam out whatever but when you actually listen down to it and you listen to the metaphors like boogeyman for example is a big giant metaphor for to to beware of people that are out to like take from your wallet and your pockets and what have you but you would never think that because of the sound that's laid over right you're thinking yeah i'm on i'm on let's let's groove out whatever so I feel like Gambino just kind of needs to stick to his own lane, like just avoid the comparisons. Um, sure, it got us talking, but he's a good enough artist that he doesn't need a comparison, yeah, I would say. I would agree with that. Right, right. But what do you guys think at home? Uh, hit me up on Twitter at DM underscore cool or cool underscore radio and share your thoughts. Now, next person we got to talk about from one songwriter to another, we got to go to Jermaine Dupree. Now, I don't think I've ever talked about Jermaine Dupri on my show before. And luckily, for this being the first time I'm talking about him on my show, it comes in a good way. Because he uh, found out that he would be inducted into the 2018 class of Songwriters Hall of Fame. Now, he is only the second hip-hop artist to be inducted into this illustrious uh, hall of great artists, basically. The first one being Jay-Z last year. And he was ecstatic, to say the least. So, basically... 
This is what he said on his social media feed. He said the following, and I quote, man, look at God, look at God, look at God. Yo, I was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. I don't don't know what else to say, but ah. (laughs) So I guess you can, you know. Imagine what his reaction was like, but yeah, I think it's well, it's well deserved. I mean, he's written for people like Usher, Alicia Keys, Mariah Carey, Criss Cross, Monica, and I even have a list of the songs that he's written. He wrote, he wrote uh, "Jump" from Criss Cross, which is like a childhood favorite of mine. Uh, he wrote "My Boo." He wrote "Don't Forget About Us," and he wrote "The First Night" from Monica. So, um, upon hearing this news, what do you think about it, Julia? Well, I think those are some big songs, and I think that. Um you know, times are changing, mm-hmm. and we're going to see a lot more people recognize who deserve it. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of other people who are well-deserving, and they're saying, oh, mm-hmm. well, maybe this is only the, the second hip-hop artist to be inducted, but right. um, hopefully we're going to see a lot more people who are deserving. Absolutely. I think this kind of opens to the floodgates. I mean, I think Jay-Z kind of, I think the induction of, Jay, induction of Jay-Z, pardon me, opened the floodgates because he's one of the most talented lyricists that hip-hop has ever seen. Also, just one of the most talented lyricists overall that music has ever seen. The amount of double and triple entendres that he puts into his wordplay is just amazing. I mean, you can go back and back and back and back. And then you look at Jermaine Dupri. He, he's written for an entire roster of artists over the years. I mean, So So Deaf was his little creation back in 1992. Two, I think, is when he first established wow. it. Um, and I remember DeBrat was his first platinum-selling artist, and she was also the first platinum-selling female artist in rap history, and he had a lot to do with that. So I think this is this is well-deserved. This is long overdue. Um, I didn't really see this coming because he's not really the person who's really at the forefront of, uh, of right the now. music, yeah, especially right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Jay-Z, he's always going to be culturally relevant. Dr. Dre as well. Um, but Jermaine Dupree, that's a good look. Like, I'm proud of this committee for really digging deep with Jermaine Dupree because, like, he's written so many hits. For, he wrote hits for Janet Jackson, for goodness sake. I mean, it doesn't get bigger than that. Like, that's crazy. So I'm really happy for him. I, I really am. And Social Def is, like, a label that I kind of grew up on, you mm-hmm. know, as a as – a, as a young man, you know, in hip hop, right? So I'm, I'm glad that he got that nod. So good for him on that, absolutely. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, what do you guys think about that? Uh, again, hit me up on Twitter or any social media platform with cool underscore radio or cool radio CC and let me know. Now, the final topic that I want to talk about on Trip Talk, this one, um, oh, this one, this one's a tea sipper right here. You might have to sip more of your water on, on this one, oh, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Okay, because uh, this one has to do with Quincy Jones. Now, Uh-oh. from one legend to another, from Jermaine Dupri to Quincy Jones, I mean, this man may very well be the greatest music producer of all time. I mean, I think it's well within anyone's right to say that. The man's 85 years old, and he's produced p- hits for a slew of artists, including Michael Jackson. Speaking of Michael Jackson, however, he had a few words to say about Michael Jackson. It wouldn't be the first time, but I feel like this time was probably the most candid time that he talked about Michael. So he did an interview with Vulture magazine, and he basically said a mouthful about not only Michael Jackson, but a lot of other people as well. So in this article that was written by HipHopDX.com, uh, and I quote, Jones, who was the mastermind behind the King of Pop's multi-platinum albums, Thriller, Off the Wall, and Bad, reveals Jackson was not only greedy, but also a thief. Uh-oh. In fact, last July, uh, Jones won a $94 million lawsuit, or sorry, $94 million in a lawsuit against the Jackson estate. Now, this is what he had to say about Michael, and I quote, I hate to get into this publicly, 
do you? <laughs> but Michael stole a lot of stuff. He stole a lot of songs. Donna Summer's State of Independence and Billie Jean. The notes don't lie, man. He was a Machiavellian as they come. He also adds, are you, are you sipping right now? Are you sipping? <laughs> he also adds, and I quote, he was greedy, man. Greedy. Don't stop till you get enough. Greg Filaganes wrote the C-section. Michael should have given him 10% of the song, but he wouldn't do it. And he also goes on to say, in regards to the plastic surgery, he went on uh -oh. to say this. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a tea sipper. And well, I, you know, when you're 85, you just your your filter just stops. Right, it just stops, <laughs> and he just keeps on going. He basically said at this point, "Don't stop till you get enough." Uh -oh. And he said, and I quote, "I used to kill him about the plastic surgery, man." He'd always justify it and say it was because of some disease he had. B.S. He had a problem with his looks because his father told him he was ugly and abused him. What do you expect? So he said all of this and he said a whole lot more about, about Prince, about Ivanka Trump, about a whole bunch of other people. So clearly the filter said good night. <laughs> but nonetheless, based on this testimony about Michael Jackson, what are your thoughts on this? Before you do, before you do, let, let, let's 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 have a tea sipping moment, shall we? But uh, nonetheless, Julia, um, now that you've taken your swig and now that my mic has gone rogue, um, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> I mean, I hate to hear anyone bad talk, Michael. I mean, I of course you love his music. Of you course, you just want to you want to stick up for him. Mm -hmm. and as an artist, you know, you never know what, what goes on in the writing room. And right. splits can get very personal. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if you're going to learn from this, just make sure you decide those splits ahead of time. Yep. <laughs> and uh, if you don't trust the person, don't bring your ideas in the room. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's 85. And uh, if I know anything about 85-year-olds, it's that they don't give a... You know what? <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. You know, um it's we, we we have a bias. Everyone has a bias basically, right? And when we remember Michael, especially now that he's passed on, right? See, before I even get to that point, here's the thing when it comes to posthumous artists, right? Whether it's Michael Jackson, Tupac Notorious B.I.G., uh whomever. We always want to hold on to the memories of them that, that made us feel good. So if we speak ill of them in any way, or we perceive someone as speaking ill, like Gambino comparing himself to Tupac, for example, we pounce on defense immediately, right? And that kind of plays into a recency bias. Whereas if they were still alive to this day, we may have a little bit of objectivity yeah. to, to speak on them. Now, with that being said, in regards to Michael Jackson, I'm sure some people may feel slighted or offended in some way. But when you take into account of who these stories are coming from, mm -hmm. I mean, this is coming from one of his closest, you know, work partners, basically. Like, he produced three of Michael uh, Jackson's best albums, arguably his three best albums. So who would know him better musically than Quincy Jones? So in that, in that retrospect, as hard as it is to say, no, that's not true, that's not true, I'm not saying that it is true, mm -hmm. but I'm just saying that we should at least take it with a grain of salt because of who it's coming from. We don't have to take it by law or say that it's Bible or anything like that, yeah. but we should at least be open enough to consider the possibility that it could, in fact, 
be a fact. It's hard. I know it's hard because it's Michael, you know, Mr. Billy Jean, Mr. 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 Thriller, like there's so many hits for days for days, right? But we're talking about Michael Jackson as a singer, as an artist, as a performer. But behind those writing rooms, we, we don't know how he was like. We weren't there. Half of us weren't even born when he was in those writing rooms, right? So mm-hmm. it's uh it's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a slippery slope. Um, one thing I wanted to point out actually is he touched on the whole plastic surgery thing. Um, and he's talked about how he said how the plastic surgery was just a cover up for the vitiligo or whatever, and how he didn't believe him in that regard. Um, what do you take from that quote? I was a little confused about what he said at the end. What did he say at the end again? Uh, he said, I used to kill him about that plastic surgery, man. He'd always justify it and say it was because of some disease he had. BS. He had a problem with his looks because his father told him he was ugly and abused him. What do you expect? What do you expect? What does who expect? What does Michael expect? What do we expect? Um, I would say what do we expect do we based expect? on the context, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people doing lots of plastic surgery these days. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm a believer in, in you know, finding your 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 self-worth within yourself. Right. Not within your, your, your body. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, you never know how anyone else is feeling. Right. So to judge that, if you know you're not going through that, is uh, or to talk about it publicly is kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know, not cool. Right, right. Not cool. Right, I guess so. And like, I'm like he's saying he's had these talks with Michael before, right? Um, not saying that it's justified for what he's saying. Like that's just his opinion. At the end of the day, it's very subjective in, in that regard. Uh, but I feel like this he wouldn't be the first person to question that. I feel like multiple people have questioned him in regards to why he's gotten so much plastic surgery over the years. Um, yeah, I think we all know that it wasn't just... The vitiligo, yeah. we know that. that yeah. Is, but, you know... I mean, it's Hollywood at the end of the day. Like, Hollywood would will always uh, press upon you a certain standard of how you, you should go by. You gotta look like this, you gotta look like that. You have to be a certain body type. Your skin has to be this color so that you're more marketable, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with all that said, I feel like there may be a bit of truth hidden within his bluntness in regards to how he was treated by his father, because we all know that George Jackson was like, he was, a he had like a military mindset when it came to raising his kids. Like, you got to be like this. You got to be like this. You're going to make me money. You're going to make me rich and all that. And Michael being the most talented, he was probably the most critical on him because he wanted him to be his cash cow, so to speak. And so for him to, you know, criticize him on the way he looks and all that, and for that to have longer lasting effects on him, I'm not surprised by that. So if he felt like he had to get the plastic surgery to look a certain way to be more appealing to his father and to whomever else he thought he had to look appealing to, that wouldn't surprise me. Exactly, yeah, because it's all internal, right? Because if you've been getting that from like age five or age six or however long he started off in show business, it's going to stick with you for a long time. Like, if I've been playing basketball since five, and I still love it to this day, I'm still going to play it. So he's had to deal with that his entire life. So I believe there is some truth to that. Maybe not in the whole blunt aspect to to what he's talking about, because that's Quincy Jones's reality. But to Michael's reality, it stuck with him. And he's had to get, not had to, but like in his mind at least, he's had to get that plastic surgery ever since then. Like, no, I don't like this part. I got to mm-hmm. improve that. Like, it's almost like we don't, like, if you put a picture of him at like the whatever age he he uh, uh, was deceased at, 
from when he was younger, it's like you would swear it's two different people. Like if you had to bring those two pictures together, you, you show that picture to like a fifteen year old, for example, you'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm looking at two different people. Like, what's the point of this? Yeah, I'm sure young people don't even know. Exactly. And you tell them that they're one and the same. They're like, nah, you're <laughs> joking, right? I'm like, nah, I'm serious. Like, wait a minute, hold on. What? No, no, no. Like they they be flabbergasted about it, right? Because they don't know. But I don't know. It, it's it's I don't know, man. It, it's it's hard. It's hard. Like not just the whole plastic surgery, but the entire thing altogether. As far as him stealing music and all that. I mean, it's coming from him of all people, Quincy Jones. He has no reason to lie by anything. I mean, he's eighty five years old. He's done everything imaginable what he can do in the music industry. He's been nominated for seventy five Grammys over his career. I mean, what does he have to lose? I mean. He didn't just talk about him. He talked about other people in this interview. He talked about Prince. He talked about Ringo Starr and the Beatles. He said how the Beatles were one of the worst groups he's ever heard in music history. He said Elvis was a joke. He he went in. Like, the tea was brewing in this interview. He did not care. It, it was in his cornflakes that morning. Yeah. I, I don't know. some Metamucil. Right. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, straight verbal diarrhea. But, um... <laughs> Something to that extent. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the Beatles. I don't know if I would call them bad, though. But, like, some good songs. they did have some good songs. I mean, obviously, I don't think they have the soul of some of the people like Michael Jackson, right. Marvin Gaye, right. those kind of people. But lyrically, they were on fire. And I think he was coming from the standpoint of a black musician because, as we all know, rock and roll mm. was a black um, a form of music until it, it got usurped, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like what he listened to, like what they were deeming as rock and roll, the Beatles, he probably listened to that as like a watered-down version of what he grew up on. Like, mm-hmm. he grew up on on rhythm and blues, which is originally, which originally turned into rock and roll. You know, when you're looking, when you're talking about uh, Muddy Waters and Chuck Berry and like all the other people who kind of revolutionized it. And then when it kind of got turned into what Elvis Presley made it into, mm-hmm. it kind of scarred him in that regard. So I kind of stand from that standpoint because yeah. he grew up with it. He's 85 years old, right? Like that, that was his era. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it made me want to go to that interview a lot more. I'll say that. <laughs> like I only stuck to that portion, but I actually want to go back and find out what he was really talking about from the interview as a whole because yeah, what again, set him off on that tangent? that's what i want to know what was brewing in that tea you know what i mean but nonetheless ladies and gentlemen cool cats and cool kittens listening at home or watching later on when this video eventually makes it to youtube um what do you guys think hit me up on twitter at dm underscore cool or cool underscore radio and share your thoughts and now it is time for our throwback portion of the episode which i like to call the flashback friday track of the day and it goes a little something like this and you guys already know hit me up on social media and let me know what tracks you want to hear for the flashback segment now it is not only black panther month but Black History Month as well. And we want to celebrate, right, right? And we want to celebrate those who came before us, basically. Now, throughout the last couple of years, I've been playing music from classic musicians like James Brown, uh, uh, Sam Cooke, uh, so many artists, so many artists in the past. But this year, I want to focus on black Canadians because I feel like because they're so close to the U.S., we only focus on the black Americans who made a difference. And that's all well and good. But... For us Canadians, and I know I got a lot of people listening internationally, whatever, but like me being branched out in Canada, what have you, for our Canadian listeners, there are so many people 
here in the music industry that paved the way for a lot of the artists that you see in here today. So I want to give them their props because I like to give props where props are due. So that being said, I want to give props to this one artist right here who basically, in my opinion, put Canadian rap on the map by being the first ever platinum selling recording artist within hip hop. And I'm talking about my man, Mr. F Maestro Fresh West. And I want to play this record right here because I feel like this record kind of reinvented him for the newer generation going forward. And this record is called Stick to Your Vision. So keep it locked. We will be right back. And when we do come back, we also have our final segment, Mike Still of the Week. So keep it locked. We'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, yo. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it is your man, DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. I still have the lovely and talented Julia Tynes in the studio with me. Hey. That's right. That's right. And that was from my man, Maestro Fresh West with Stick to Your Vision. Personally, my favorite Maestro record ever. I just thought the way he flipped the sample and kind of created it into, into what we were listening to right now was just amazing. That'll always forever be on rotation. And I'm actually proud to say that I actually got to see him live perform for the first time uh, late last year. I think it was either October or November, somewhere around that time period. But, like, nice. he, he still got it. He still got it. It never left. It never left. So shout out to Maestro Fresh West. Hopefully I will have him in studio <laughs> one of these days. Absolutely. Um, but nonetheless, we have to get to our final segment of the day. And this one is always uh, good for some laughs. So on that note. Let me clear my throat real quick. <clears throat> me, 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 me. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. This week's Wankster of the Week goes to none other than comedian Faison Love. Now, he is getting the wankster of the week because he was on radio basically just slandering the name that is Dave Chappelle. Now, for those of you who know Dave Chappelle or who don't even know Dave Chappelle, he's, he's one of the greatest comedians of all time. His show, Chappelle's show, is one of the funniest, if not the funniest, uh, uh, sketch improv comedy show, or sketch comedy show, rather, of all time. I mean, the DVD sales reflect that. But nonetheless, I will get to that diatribe later on within the segment. Basically, Faison Love claimed that, quote-unquote, white people built Dave Chappelle. So he went on radio basically stating his opinion on Chappelle's show and stated how the first season wasn't that funny. So this is what he said on Sway in the Morning, and I quote, white people built Dave. For a fact, he's never made people laugh. The first season of Dave Chappelle's show was whack. It wasn't until the second season, once Charlie Murphy started writing, that's when he started seeing the Rick James and all the other fly stuff. Now, this is what I have a problem with right here. So first and foremost, the first season of Dave Chappelle was epic, which is why he got a second season. I mean, the first season, not even within the first season, the first episode was him playing the character known as Clayton Bigsby, who was a black white supremacist. He was a blind black man who thought he was a white guy who was the leader of the KKK. How mind-boggling bonkers is that? Like, that was hilarious. And then in that same season, they had what was called the Player Haters Ball, which is a play off of the Players Ball. And basically, it was just a roast fest of your favorite comedians. So you had Charlie Murphy in there, you had Donald Rollins in there, and they were just shooting shots at each other. That was hilarious. 
They also had, oh man, there are so many episodes. There's the episode where black people got reparations again, and all black people were just spending their money on stupid stuff. Like it, oh, there were gems after gems after gems in that in that in that season. So to say that the first season was kind of whack, bro. What were you watching? Were you were you watching Full House? Were you watching? <laughs> what were you watching? Like I need to know because. It's not even just nostalgia. It's the fact that he created a cultural shockwave within pop culture and it made him seem like an overnight celebrity. But not only that, you have to take into account that Dave Chappelle has been at his game since the 90s. People forget that this guy was starred in the movie uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Like that was one of his first gigs in Hollywood. And then he was co-signed by none other than arguably the greatest comedian of all time in Eddie Murphy when Eddie Murphy put him in the film The Nutty Professor and he was just shooting shots at him the entire time. Mind you, Eddie Murphy was founded by Richard Pryor. So you see where the gene pool is in, 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 uh, in uh, black comedians, right? So this is not his first day on the job. And then he's also been co-signed by people like Wanda Sykes. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then he is also in his first self-made movie half-baked which was like a cultural phenomenon at that point it wasn't like an instant success but it was a cult classic and it's been deemed a cult classic since and then from there on he did stand up after stand up after stand up and then the Chappelle show and the rest is history now I will say this what he has done on his own is what he has done on his own as far as comedian stand up and what have you and as far as the Chappelle show goes that's from his own genius and his own intellect and yes, you could say that white people made him in re- in regards to him going mainstream. But at the end of the day, that's a very broad statement to make because at the end of the day, when it comes to mainstream pop culture, white people will always be the majority because they are the majority of America. That's like saying that black players always get called for fouls in the NBA. Well, yeah, because 75% of the NBA is black, so what do you expect <laughs> you know so it's just that you can't make those statements and say that that's law at the end of the day i feel like where face on is coming from is a standpoint of ignorance and i happen to see this a lot when it comes to black comedians like whenever a black comedian is not doing well they will be quick to judge another black comedian for example i remember when Ari spears was judging kevin hart and saying oh he's not that funny like he's white people funny but like he ain't really that funny he only makes white people laugh he ain't making black people laugh and this is coming from a guy who had a ton of success on Mad TV. But now that you're not really doing a whole lot right now in terms of the of the mainstream perspective, why tear down another comedian who kind of had to go through the ropes like you did? Like Kevin Hart's been in this game since like the early 2000s and he's just now starting to blow up over like this last 3 or 4 year period. So why bring another black comedian down? I've never understood that and to this day I will never understand that because not only for comedians but Black people already know how hard it is for other black people to succeed in North America. So why bring another person down? So that's why I'm giving Mr. Faison Love the wanks of the week because of the fact <laughs> that you should know better. You know, you should do by your last name and show love to other people and not show hatred. So sure it is your own opinion, but to say that it wasn't that funny, I mean, why is this coming out now? I mean, are you trying to capitalize off of his name because he has a – a Netflix uh, network special that's been out for the last year or so with another one that just came out a few a few months recently that he's been getting like all these gigs and deals happening like why make that statement now why not make this I don't know let's say 10 years ago when he was still kind of low-key in South Africa kind of touring doing like private gigs and what have you why not make a statement now or back then why make it now I don't understand why a lot of these guys want to 
make a statement like that, and then a few months later they come out, yeah, I'm doing my own comedy special. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a weak move to make, in my opinion. So, on that note, Mr. Faison Love. Actually, Mr. Faison No Love, a.k.a. Uh-oh. Mr. Faison, <laughs> you need to be showing more love. Mr. Faison ain't getting no love. You are getting the wankster of the week. Do you deserve this wankster? Of course you do. And from with all the love in the bottom of my heart, I'm going to drop it on you just like this. He needs to show more love to the act of comedianism. But nonetheless, what do you say? Well, I love Dave Chappelle and I'm part black. So there you go. There you go. And I also saw that uh, that first season. And actually, that is my absolute favorite. Dave Chappelle is the one where he is... The blind the white <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was so funny. Oh, oh man. Um, so yeah, I definitely say no love for that guy. Right, right, for sure. I mean, there are so many classics in that first season. Like I could go on for days and days about it, but like, yeah, like it, it, it's just him being a hater at the end of the day. Like you don't have to bring somebody else down and say that it wasn't that funny. You know what I mean? I mean. You know, maybe he had a bad he had a bad week. Probably. You know, that's usually when people start doing stuff like that. Like, right. It's hard to be positive all the time, and you're like, I feel crappy. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that guy over there. Exactly, and I think it's almost somewhat of an insult to say that. You know, it wasn't that funny because I mean, sure, you can have your opinion. It's weak. It's it's weak. No, it's <laughs> definitely weak. But reason why I'm saying it's weak, not only because of that, but because of the fact that. Yes, Charlie Murphy did write the second season of Dave Chappelle for the most part, but you know who else wrote the first season of of uh, of Chappelle's show? Chappelle. Not not just him, not just him, but uh, Paul Mooney. And Paul Mooney is a legendary comedian. This guy goes way back. Mm. He used to write comedy material for Richard Pryor, and Richard Pryor is is considered to be the greatest comedian of all time. So to say that it was weak and the jokes weren't that funny. It's almost kind of slandering the name of Paul Mooney. And a lot of people didn't really even know about who Paul Mooney was until that season of Chappelle show. I didn't mm. I didn't know who he was. I'll be dead honest. I was only maybe like 14 when that first season came out. So I only know about the more mainstream guys like Eddie Murphy and Bernie Mac and whomever. I never knew about Paul Mooney. Mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle introduced me to Paul Mooney. So take what you want with it. I think it, I agree with you. It was definitely a weak move on phase on no love's part, but it is what it is. Haters gonna hate. But at the end of the day, Dave Chappelle has a $60 million check courtesy of Netflix. So, bow. And he just won a Grammy, too. There you go. Cool. I forgot about that. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of Grammys, real quick before we end, did you see that performance with him and Dave Chappelle? Uh, and, sorry, him and Kendrick Lamar? Yes. I loved every minute of it. It was pretty epic. It was, I mean. It was theatrical. And it was. It was deep. Though. It was very and deep. And it was pretty amazing that they did air that. Because, like, when he started shooting everything. Yeah. That was, like. And they're all in red as well? It was, yeah, it was intense. Like, it was, like, hide your kids, hide your wife. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> this is dark. Right. And they're, like, gush after gush after. I'm, like, he's doing it. He's doing it. Yeah, and then and even Chappelle was, like, is this on cable? CBS? <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was oh, definitely, man. He, went, he went for it. He did. He did. I, I love whenever Kendrick performs because he puts on a show. Not only does he put on a show, but there's meaning behind it as well. And I'm, I, I and I debated with myself, did I like this one better or his, his performance from the 2016 Grammys a bit better? That was one where he was in the shackles and then he had the African tribal dancers in the background. Um, and then there was like fire and flame shooting out. Like, 
And then at the end of it, like, he put out, like, uh, the flag of Africa. But in the middle, it said Compton on it. Ooh. And I was, ooh, I, sorry, I get chill sick of that right now. But I don't know, man. He's just an amazing uh, performer. But kind of going back to Dave Chappelle, I mean, I love his creativity. I love how he's infused himself within hip-hop culture and all that stuff. So good for Dave Chappelle. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. He's top five in my books. And he's one of the few comedians, in my opinion, that can cross over between stand-up um, improv slash sketch comedy and then comedic films yeah very few can do that i think the only few that i have personally seen that can do all three are him chris rock eddie murphy and i would say bernie mac rest in peace of course those are my personal favorites Mm-hmm. No, yeah. it's hard to it's hard once you get to know someone as something to to cross over in anything else, especially right. film, right? Exactly. Then you're sort of like we know you. Exactly. You're not that character. Right. But no, he's good. He's very he's good. He's funny. He's very funny. Funny guy. Very funny indeed. But alas, we must come to an end. Uh, we have reached the end of the show. So, Julia, I thank you for coming through. Um, you are now part of the cool, cool radio family. So Woo-hoo. you are down to come through anytime. You're in. You're in. You're in. That's <laughs> it. So you have to. You had to come one time. Now you're in. You're good. <laughs> but yeah, you're welcome to come through anytime. Um, where can the people find you on social media? Um, you can find me at juliatines.com mm-hmm. or on Instagram at juliatines. There you go. There you go. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, y'all can follow me on on social media at cool underscore radio on Twitter and also SoundCloud and then cool radio CC on Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. There we go. I almost forgot. No worries. (laughs) Next week. We may or may not be having a broadcast because a certain movie is premiering next week, and I may or may not be in studio to talk about such movie. But I will keep you posted on that. Cough, cough, black Panther. But uh, nonetheless, uh, keep you po- I will keep you all posted on that. But nonetheless, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we are kind of in the overtime hour, and I really appreciate you guys if you stuck on for this long. If you have just tuned into the broadcast, what were you doing? But not for real, though. Um, you can catch the broadcast on Sunday, as I will be posting on my SoundCloud page. And as you guys already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.